The Pensioner by William Kane. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Pensioner by William Kane. Miss Crewe was born in the year 1821. She received a sort of education, and at the age of twenty became the governess of a little girl, eight years old, called Martha Bond. She was Martha's governess for the next ten years. Then Martha came out, and Miss Crewe went to be the governess of somebody else. Martha married Mr. William Harper. A year later she gave birth to a son, who was named Edward. This brings us to the year 1853. When Edward was six, Miss Crewe came back to be his governess. Four years later he went to school, and Miss Crewe went away to be the governess of somebody else. She was now forty-two years old. Twelve years passed, and Mrs. Harper died, recommending Miss Crewe to her husband's care, for Miss Crewe had recently been smitten by an incurable disease which made it impossible for her to be a governess any longer. Mr. Harper, who had passionately loved his wife, gave instructions to a solicitor to pay Miss Crewe the sum of one hundred and fifty pounds annually. He had some thoughts of buying her an annuity, but she seemed so ill that he didn't. Edward was now twenty-two. In the year 1888, Mr. Harper died after a very short illness. He had expected Miss Crewe to die any day during the past thirteen years, but since she hadn't, he thought it proper now to recommend her to Edward's care. This is how he did it. "'That confounded old crew, Eddie. You'll have to see to her. Let her have her money as before, but for the Lord's sake don't go and buy her an annuity now. If you do, she'll die on your hands in a week.' Shortly afterwards, the old gentleman passed away. Edward was now thirty-five. Miss Crewe was sixty-seven, and reported to be in an almost desperate state. Edward followed his father's advice. He bought no annuity for Miss Crewe. Her one hundred and fifty pounds continued to be paid each year into her bank, but by Edward, not by his late father's solicitors. Edward had his own ideas of managing the considerable fortune which he had inherited. These ideas were unsound. The first of them was that he should assume the entire direction of his own affairs. Accordingly, he instructed his solicitors to realize all the mortgages and railway stock and other admirable securities in which his money was invested, and hand over the cash to him. He then went in for the highest rate of interest which anyone would promise him. The consequence was that, within twelve years, he was almost a poor man, his annual income having dwindled from about three thousand to about four hundred pounds. Though he was a fool, he was an honourable man, and so he continued to pay Miss Crewe her one hundred and fifty pounds each year. This left him about two hundred and fifty for himself. The capital which his so reduced income represented was invested in a Mexican brewery in which he had implicit faith. Nevertheless, he began to think that he might do well were he to try to earn a little extra money. The only thing he could do was to paint, not at all well, in watercolours. He became the pupil, quite seriously, of a young artist whom he knew. He was now forty-seven years old, while Miss Crewe was seventy-nine. The year was nineteen hundred. To everybody's amazement, Edward soon began to make quite good progress in his painting. Yes, his pictures were not at all unpleasant little things. He sent one of them to the academy. It was accepted. It was, as I live, sold for ten pounds. Edward was an artist. Soon he was making between thirty and forty pounds a year. 
Then he was making over a hundred, then two hundred. Then the Mexican brewery failed, General Malafico having burned it to the ground for a lark. This happened in the spring of 1914, when Edward was sixty-one and Miss Crewe was ninety-three. Edward, after paying her money to Miss Crewe, might flatter himself on the possibility of having some fifty pounds a year for himself, that is to say, if his picture sales did not decline. A single man can, however, get along, more or less, on fifty pounds, more or less. Then the Great War broke out. It has been said that in the autumn of 1914 the old man came into their kingdom. As the fields of Britain were gradually stripped bare of their valid toilers, the fathers of each village assumed, at good wages, the burden of agriculture. From their offices the juniors departed or were torn. The senior clerks carried on desperately until the girls were introduced. No man was any longer too old at forty. Octogenarians could command a salary. The very cinemas were glad to dress up ancient fellows in uniform and post them on their doorsteps. Edward could do nothing but paint rather agreeable watercolours, and that was all. The market for his kind of work was shut. A patriotic nation was economising in order to get five per cent on the war loans. People were not giving inexpensive little watercolours away to one another as wedding gifts any longer. Only the painters of high reputation, whose work was regarded as a real investment, could dispose of their wares. Starvation stared Edward in the face. Not only his own starvation, you understand, but Miss Crewe's. And Edward was a man of honour. He hated Miss Crewe intensely, but he had undertaken to provide for her, and provide for her he must, even if he failed to provide for himself. He wrapped some samples of his paintings in brown paper, and began to seek for a job among the wholesale stationers. He offered himself as one who was prepared to design Christmas cards and calendars and things of the kind. Adversity had sharpened his wits. Even the wholesale stationers were not turning white-headed men from their portals. To Edward was accorded the privilege of displaying the rather agreeable contents of his parcel. After he had unpacked it, and packed it up again some thirty times, he was offered work. His pictures were really rather agreeable. It was piecework, and he was to do it off the premises, no matter where. By toiling day and night, he might be able to earn as much as four pounds a week. He went away and toiled. His employers were pleased with what, each Monday, he brought them. They did not offer to increase his remuneration, but they encouraged him to produce, and took practically everything he offered. Edward was very fortunate. During the first year of the war, he lived like a beast worked like a slave, and earned exactly enough to keep his soul in his body and pay Miss Crewe her one hundred and fifty pounds. During the second year of the war he did it again. The fourth year of the war found him still alive and still punctual to his obligations towards Miss Crewe. Miss Crewe, however, found one hundred and fifty pounds no longer what it had been. Prices were rising in every direction. She wrote to Edward, pointing this out, and asking him if he couldn't see his way to increasing her allowance. She invoked the memory of his dear mother and father, added something about the happy hours that he and she had spent together in the dear old schoolroom, and signed herself his affectionately. Edward petitioned for an increase of pay. He pointed out to his firm of wholesale stationers that prices were rising in every direction. The firm, who knew when they had a marketable thing cheap, granted his petition. Henceforth, Edward was able to earn five pounds a week. 
he increased Miss Crewe's allowance by fifty pounds, and continued to live more like a beast than ever, for the price of paper and paints was soaring. He worked practically without ceasing, save to sleep, which he could not do, and to eat, which he could not afford. He was now sixty-four, while Miss Crewe was rising ninety-seven. Edward had been ailing for a long time. On Armistice Day, he struck work for an hour in order to walk about in the streets and share in the general rejoicing. He caught a severe cold, and the next day, instead of staying between his blankets—he had no sheets—he went up to the city with some designs which he had just completed. That night he was feverish. The next night he was delirious. The third night he was dead, and there was an end of him. He had, however, managed before he died—two days before— to send to Miss Crewe a money order for her quarter's allowance of fifty pounds. This had left him with precisely four shillings and tuppence in the post-office savings bank. He was, consequently, buried by the parish. Miss Crewe received her money. She was delighted to have it, and at once wrote to Edward her customary letter of grateful and affectionate thanks. She added, in a postscript, that if he could find it in his generous heart— to let her have a still little more next quarter, it would be most acceptable, because every day seemed to make it harder and harder for her to get along. Edward was dead when this letter was delivered. Miss Crewe sent her money order to her bank, asking that it might be placed to her deposit account. This, she reminded the bank, would bring up the amount of her deposit to exactly two thousand pounds. End of the Pensioner by William Kane, 